the big brain behind Yahoo Sports. Check out the big brain on brand. Rivals.com. Are we ready? Rivalry Week has arrived. That's it. Time's expired. 50-0. USC defeats UCLA. Welcome to this week's edition of the Trojansports.com podcast with Blair Angulo, Chris Swanson, and Adam J. Maya. The Trojans took care of business Thursday night against Cal. And that means it's time for our crosstown nemesis. Rivalry Saturday, Bruins, Trojans. And the boys are joined by Edward Lewis from the UCLA Rival site. Adam's got a bumper sticker award. We do it all right now. This week's edition of the Trojansports.com podcast kicks off. You know when, right now. Welcome back to the Trojansports.com podcast. I am Blair Angulo, joined by Adam Maya. <laughs> okay. And Chris Swanson as well. He's the editor of Trojansports.com. Guys, it's uh, UCLA week, so uh, I'm a little giddy. It's it's always a nice week, always a fun week for fans and for us analysts. We're analyzing, obviously, the absurd Pac-12 South race. Uh, we're going to break down the Cal game first before we get into UCLA. Adam, you're also going to give away your weekly award, as you always do. But the Cal game, you know, what, what was your biggest takeaway from that game? USC played like they can. And then they played like they can. <laughs> um, it's confounding still. You know, 10 games in, you don't know what to expect from them. They show up for the first half, and then I think they get tired. I, at this point, you know, I don't care what they say. They're not going to admit that they get tired. They don't rotate enough players, I think, defensively throughout the game. And they get to a point in the fourth quarter where they're gassed. And they have a lot of lapses, a lot of penalties. Um, I mean, we saw both the safeties give up touchdowns, and I think that they're worn out. Chris, I think what Adam meant was USC played like they can, and USC played like they do. And, and that means they played up to their potential, but then they unraveled there at the end, and it got a little tricky, a little, I don't know, what's the word, maybe a little dicey for them. Uh, Chris, what was your takeaway from, from what happened in the second half? Um, you know, they just don't finish. It's something that they haven't done all season, and it doesn't look like they're uh, on pace to figure it out at all. I talked to some players after the game about it, trying to, to get their thoughts on why teams are able to come back and make games close when they really shouldn't be. And they said it's just a mentality thing. They haven't figured out how to finish. It's a, it's a theme for them. It's on their shirts, and they just can't get it done. I think Adam Myers' point about the defensive rotation is a solid one. The team isn't blaming rotation. They know that they just have to go out there and try harder and try to put these teams away when they have the chance. You know what? I, I heard them say that as well. I don't totally buy it. Um, remember that defensively, if you're allowing two points like they had, I think, you know, for most of the first half, or you're allowing nine points, you have a lot of pride about that. You know, you, you don't just have a mentality like, oh, we already won. I'm going to give up points. Like, defensive players don't think like that. Offensively, sure, you're up by 30. You let up a little bit. You know, you, you're not as urgent about things. So I think you, you, you get that from Sarkeesian and the play calling, the way they play offense, and the way that they don't really um, put people away. But defensively, I don't think that they're just not finishing because of a mentality. I think that they're tired. And they're never going to say that. And that's why, you know, we've never gotten that answer, you know, because they're not going to admit it. But... They're tired. Yeah, you're not buying it. 
I'm not buying it. W- what I'm buying, though, is a pass protection. I thought it was superb. Cody Kessler had a, a ton of time. He was looking for receivers, mostly Nelson Aguilar. He was staring him down. Then he had more time, and then he was moving around the pocket, and then he was looking at Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> then he had more. You know, it was it was uh, it was unreal. Nelson Aguilar had a career high 11 receptions with eight minutes to go before halftime. 16. Sorry. Uh, no, this was before. Oh, I'm saying oh, he, yeah. he he uh, he already yeah, half, he's, yeah he set his career high with eight minutes to right. go before even. The half the halftime started, so uh, Nelson had a big game. You know, it, it was interesting because Marquise Lee was in attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the offense, the pass protection, and kind of just the progression that they showed there in the first in the first half? They mixed it up. Uh, they weren't going downfield. They were doing the bubble screen galore thing, which worked. I mean, I think that they did play that smart. Cal wasn't defending it. It was very weird. I mean, you could just hand the ball up to Nelson practically. So they played it perfectly. They threw, I think, thirty three times in the first half and then they stopped throwing why 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 it's like we're gonna get buck 100 yards you know we're gonna sell our souls to that because he's like halfway to Marcus Allen's streak I don't get it you know they talked about wanting to run the ball and run clock and preserve the defense well your passing game was running was serving as a running game you know, it was very efficient, very productive, the short passing game. They ran clock doing that. You know, it wasn't like their drives were half a minute in the first half. They were holding on to the ball by the short passing game. And I just felt like, you know, they got greedy, you know, and they just felt like they could do whatever they wanted and go back to Buck and get him his yards. And it nearly cost them. It was a one-possession game. Chris, should the running game be a concern heading to heading into the UCLA game? It should be a huge concern, actually. I think that uh, something that hasn't really been talked about is that USC hasn't had a run game in the last three games, really. They've had trouble pushing guys off the line and getting big games. Um, Buck Allen has the numbers, but I think that it's been kind of forced this year. I don't think this offensive line is really set up to to push people around. Pass protection has been great, like you mentioned, but I think against UCLA, they have to run the ball, and they haven't shown that they've been able to do it recently. Marquise Lee was not the only person in attendance, or famous person, I guess. Miley, Miley Cyrus was oh. there. Miley Cyrus was okay. doing Miley Cyrus things in the stands. It was, it was unbelievable. I had co- I'm married. I covered my <laughs> eyes. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, well, I had my eyes wide open. Elsewhere in the Pac-12 South, Arizona hung on to beat Washington. Utah beat Stanford on the road. And the surprise, Adam, this is a big one. Arizona State loses to Oregon State in Corvallis. So the Pac-12 standings, as they currently stand heading into the UCLA game, USC is alone at the top, 6-2. and two. It's a little misleading, though. Mm-hmm. Arizona, Arizona State, and UCLA are all five and two. UCLA, though, has the tiebreaker uh, within those those three tied teams, and UCLA, I guess, they control their own destiny. Yeah, UCLA is set up, you know, I guess, pretty well here. Where if they beat USC, they beat Stanford, they got it. It's their division. USC needs one loss from ASU, and it can come against Washington State, which. It won't, or it can come at Arizona the day after Thanksgiving, which is a very, you know, real possibility. But I think more importantly, we need to know if Sarkeesian called Mark Banker and thanked him for what Oregon State did to ASU. Uh, We've been waiting for that phone call for months, never really got confirmation whether he made it, and uh, we're going to ask about it, Steve. 
Chris, there's two other big games in the Pac-12 conference this week, along with USC-UCLA. Arizona State's going to host Washington State, and Arizona is traveling to Utah. Before we let you go, we're going to have to get a prediction out of you, UCLA-USC at the Rose Bowl. What's your call? You know, it's, it's a really tough game to call. I think both teams have shown at times that they, they don't want to win games that they should run away with. Um, big rivalry game. I know UCLA has won two in a row. It's at the Rose Bowl. I'm taking USC in a close one. I think they're going to have a lead early and hold on for dear life. At the end, I'm going to say it's 35-31 to 31 USC at wow. the end of the day. Wow. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So, Adam... Uh, we're going to hold your prediction until a little later in the show. Uh, you have a little bit more time to think. But you have your bumper sticker award that you like to hand out. Uh, who does it go to this week? Yeah, my uh, my kid beat up your, your kid. Uh, bumper sticker award. And it definitely has to go to Nelson Aguilar. He's one of the best receivers in the country. And I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that until November. But... He is. He's up there. Uh, you can argue who, who it is, whether it's him or Amari Cooper. Or, you know, there's a few people, I think, in that conversation. But uh, either way, he's in the conversation. Nelson, 16 catches, 216 yards, two touchdowns, and uh, tenacious. You just have to love the way he plays. First time winner? Yeah. First time winner. All right. So we'll be right back to break down the battle for the victory bell with Edward Lewis, the publisher of BruinSportsReport.com. You're listening to the Trojansports.com podcast. Hey, Travis Rogers from Yahoo Sports Radio. Thanks for listening to my friends, Trojansports.com and the Trojan Sports podcast presented by Rivals. You know, we talk Trojans and everything going on in sports. Plus, we actually have some fun every morning on Yahoo Sports Radio and heard locally in Southern California on AMA 30 KLAA, home of the Angels. It's the Travis Rogers Show every weekday morning from 6 until 10. Check us out. Now, back to the Trojansports.com podcast. Edward Lewis, the publisher of BruinSportsReport.com and friend of the show, joins us in studio. What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. All right. Well, you can find him on Twitter, EdwardLewisBSR. I'd also suggest bombarding him with questions. Uh, thanks for being here. Like I said, Ed, uh, Brett Hundley, he's got to lead our discussion here as we head into UCLA-USC uh, breaking down this game, uh, this big rivalry. He was a once a Heisman hopeful. Um, it hasn't really unraveled for him the way many thought it would what what's what's going on there in westwood well he was he was really bad for a while there uh it, the the main thing with him is his pocket awareness and his and his pocket poise you know when when he gets a rush in his face or when he gets people around his legs or when he you know starts feeling things he tends to see ghosts and then that really upsets people ghosts I mean, yeah i mean because he'll be back there and he'll have time he'll have four or five six seconds and he'll just feel things that aren't there because you got to him early on he'll just take off and run and you know no mazzoni's been okay with it because brett is such an elite runner but but man for a while there that stretch of cal colorado and even a little bit in arizona it was like dude throw the ball and he would never do it and that that Washington game was really encouraging for everybody. I think that's why you saw Jim Mora after the game went up and gave him a hug and, and dapped him up even before he went over to uh, to Chris Peterson at, at Washington. He made sure he went to Brett Hundley first and foremost because this may have been Brett Hundley's breakout game where it's like, okay, I can breathe and maybe I have a little pocket awareness now. When Jim Mora went over to him, did Brett Hundley kind of try to evade him? Like he does <laughs> when, I mean, it, that's that's been the knock on him 
um, you know, freshman year, people were like, oh, he's just a freshman. You know, he's kind of waiting and, and learning. But now he's a junior. He's supposed to be a Heisman hopeful, and, and he hasn't really developed the way people thought It's he been would. fascinating because, I mean, like you said, in his freshman year and his sophomore year, I was like, well, the O-line's bad. You know, that's why he's always running around in circles. Well, this year, I mean, that O-line is actually pretty good. I mean, it's been really good the last couple of weeks even. And he's still just kind of running around in circles and sometimes just running around with a, like a chicken with his head cut off, just moving all the way around and stuff. So, you know, I... I it, it was encouraging to see his play against Washington because he finally didn't do it, but I, I'm still skeptical of it. I think it's still hit the one knock he has and, and the one thing I don't think he's ever going to be able to recover from. I think it's just innate in him, and it's just, you know, I can't be in a pocket that has a lot of pressure around me because I'll just panic. Ed, I need you to clear something up for me because I, I have not understood this. A few weeks ago, there was a revelation that apparently Brett Hundley had been throwing the ball more in, in earlier in the year, more often, because he had to develop to be an NFL quarterback. Um, and then now he's going to run. You know, now it's okay and he can run more. That seems like nonsense. Um, you're going to coach him to win. So how what were they really doing there? What what was the, the philosophy there early in the year and what's kind of changed? Well, I think it was his personal preference, really. Uh, I think, the, obviously, the game plan never changed. It was always, Brett, can you please throw the ball to our receivers? And and whether he would do it or not was his personal preference. And I think in the beginning of the season, he was trying to do it, making a concerted effort to not panic in the pocket, not flip out and not take off and run. And then there was a three or four game stretch where he was like, forget it. You know, I have an easier time just running around like, you know, Barry Sanders and trying to make plays all over the field. And I think it worked a little bit, and that's why he was like, well, I'm going to be me now. And then against Arizona and then against Colorado, it was like, well, this isn't working. i got to throw the ball again. And I think Washington, he finally just settled down and finally was able to take some three, four, five-step drops and be clean in the pocket and throw the ball. So I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily a game plan decision. I think Noel always says, throw the ball, but if you want to take off, go ahead and do it because you're pretty good at it. So are they, are they pretty happy with him then the last couple of weeks? Is that how they want him to play? Well, the second half of Arizona and then this, this game against Washington, yeah. I mean, because he, I, I, I keep saying it, but I mean, if you watch any of his game, it was like, as UCLA fans, you would always see the, the people get on your board and stuff and just scream about it. Just why is he not throwing the football? And it was just so frustrating to watch him just be in that pocket. And he'd have time for days. I mean, I, I went through it. I think I charted. He had 39 throws one game. I think I want to say it was the Arizona game. And then 32 of them, he either threw a swing, a screen, or a bubble, or took off running. 32 of 39 throws are dropbacks, you know, and it was just like, man, you, that, that's not how you play quarterback. And the next week against Washington, he really cleaned it up. I think he had 43 dropbacks and only ended up scrambling like four or five times. And so it was, he really cleaned it up, really kind of fixed it. So I think Mora and Noel are kind of figuring out like, okay, has he really fixed this issue? So I think they're, they're, I guess, excited heading into USC. The criticism is there, but statistically speaking, he's having a good year, uh, 72% completion percentage. Uh, he's got 250 passing yards per game, uh, over you know, nearly 60 yards uh, rushing per game, 24 touchdowns and four interceptions. USC struggles with quarterbacks that are dual threat. They have capabilities of dual threat, and he's beaten U- USC twice already his first two years. Adam, this seems like a problem for USC heading into this game. I think it's a nightmare. I mean, I think he's like the last kind of player. Him and Mariota be the last type of player that they want to face. Um, they play beautifully against pocket passers, you know, even good ones. Um, this is the kind of quarterback that can really hurt them. Now, we heard that Anu Solomon could, I guess, be like a, a Brett Hungley clone. He really wasn't. And so I feel like that's probably a bad you know, precursor yeah. for this game. Um, I 
they haven't really faced a quarterback like Hungley who can do both well, throw and run. Um, Tyler Murphy, of course, Boston College, couldn't throw, and yet it didn't even matter. And so that's the game that I keep thinking about, and I feel like USC is going to be uncomfortable for, for the you know, Saturday afternoon. Ed, this is a UCLA team that struggled to beat Cal on the road. They struggled to beat Colorado. They needed two overtimes to beat Colorado on the road. Then they've bounced back with a good win against Arizona at home. They went on the road in Seattle and, and beat Washington pretty soundly. Is this team now playing their best football of the year? Yeah, and I think a lot of it starts on the defensive end too. Um, you know, Miles Jack is kind of the epitome of that defense. You know, the guy, he's like super freaky and everybody knows him and da-da-da, but he is so undisciplined. I mean, the guy just, he wants to make every single play no matter where it is on the field. And for the fir- through the first four or five games, he kind of epitomized that defense. If you ran any kind of naked boot or, or, or play action or, or fake power to go to screen the opposite side of the field, it would just destroy UCLA because they would just over-pursue and relentless go outside, go somewhere else, and, and, and it was just killing them. And, and now this, these past two weeks, they finally calmed it down. They finally really, okay, we don't have to make every single play, no matter where it is on the field, take your gas, take your run fits, and, and play well. So I think you've seen that against Washington. You saw it against Arizona. They, they finally didn't bust coverages and bust plays, trying to make their own plays, trying to do Miles Jack things, and I think it really helps. So, yeah, I do think they're playing their best ball, especially Brett Helmley getting back on track and the defense back on track. And, you know, they've always had good skill players and stuff like that. It's just now they finally are fixing defense and fixing the quarterback. I've been watching you silly for a long time. And You're so old. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm curious to see with this team in particular, they control their own destiny. They actually have pressure. Whereas before, once they got beat by, by Utah and Oregon, that pressure was off of them. They were no longer a top 10 team. They no longer controlled their own destiny. Um, I think that makes a big difference for that program. I've just seen it for a long time now. Now, you know, with ASU losing, I don't know if that was good for UCLA because now they, they have to win. They know that it's theirs. They know that, that you know, that they can they can get to the Pac-12 title game, maybe even sneak into the, the Final Four. You know, are they, are they ready for that? I, I wholeheartedly agree with you because in the beginning of the year, they were actually they actually told us that. When they lost to Utah and Oregon, they were like, yeah, you know what? We do play better with our backs against the wall. But with that being said, this entire team, I'm not sure there's a single one that doesn't feel like the little brother to USC. You know, I don't think um, any of them feels like, oh, we're the dominant LA team and we have nothing to prove this week. You know, I think they all feel like we're the little brother. We have something to prove. You know, so maybe for the Stanford game or the Oregon game, I feel you on that. Like the, the pressure gets too big for them. And, and I think that's exactly what happened in the Utah-Oregon games. They, they felt a little too much and they, they weren't the gutty little Bruins anymore. But this weekend, I think, uh, I think that goes out the window. I think that USC thing really throws a wrench in all that. They're gutty little Bruins yeah. this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're back to gutty yeah, little Bruins Yeah, what's the word there? Is it gutsy or gutty? Gutty, gutty. Somebody called them gritty, I guess. Gritty okay. little Bruins, and then... And, and they didn't like it. And Mark G- Dellens. GLB. Yeah. We'll just go GLB. We yeah. don't have to yeah, explain okay. it. Okay, so the GOBs... No, GLB. GL. Oh. G- oh, the GLBs. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. It's gritty a, oh, and gutty. Oh. Gutsy yeah, all begin right. with the letter G. Okay, letter. it's an acronym. I get you. <laughs> okay, okay. So those GLBs... You know they they have they have some good things going for them, but what can the Trojans exploit Saturday at the Rose Bowl? Well, the one thing I watched that whole USC Cal game. The one thing is Leonard Williams. I mean that guy is unreal. I mean I, I I'm a big NFL guy, big NFL draft guy, and I'm always looking at who's number one overall. Dallas pick. Cowboys. Who, um, who are they going to get? My boys, dude. No, I don't know because they're going to win the Super Bowl. So 32 pick, you never know. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, Leonard Williams. I mean that guy's an animal. And on the right side of UCLA's offensive line, they had Scott Quisenberry, and even at center, Jake Brendel. I think are the two 
probably weakest components of that offensive line. They, they played better as of late, and Quisenberry's had a good four or five game stretch. But Scott Quisenberry's like 260 pounds. I mean, Leonard Williams' like leg weighs that much. So I'm just, <laughs> I think that's going to be huge to watch how they kind of help that and how they are able to kind of keep keep Leonard Williams out of the backfield. And then obviously offensively. USC's receivers. That was filthy. I used to think Cal's receivers were the best in the league. That, no way. Nelson Aguilar is an animal. Hmm. So I think, you know, UCLA's got some decent corners, but nothing like like that. I mean, that's 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 some pretty tough, tough stuff. And I know Cody Kessler was the man. He, he's dropping dimes all day long. So I think that's the passing game and then obviously, you know, protecting Hundley in the, in the interior. So Kessler, when he does have time, he, you know, is able to find Nelson Aguilar and Juju Smith and George Farmer and all, all these guys. Uh, that pass rush, you know, we, we know Owo Odigazua is there. Eddie Vanderdos is there. There's other guys on that defensive line. They lost Anthony Barr. They lost Cassius Marsh. Uh, they lost Keenan Graham. What's that unit looking like right now? Yeah, I mean, the two pass rushers they have are Deion Hollins and, and Tack McKinley. And, you know, they're, they're, they're good, but it's just they, they're kind of specialists. So, you know, if you do some things with your offensive line or you do a little play action or stuff like that, you can stop them at the, the initial rush. You know, if you don't get in too many third and 12s, third and 13s, you can stop them. So it's not really a massive pass rush. I mean, Kenny Clark and Eddie up middle can get to you and, and obviously Tack and O and, and Dion on the outsides. But I, I, I wouldn't think it'd be a huge concern if USC is like, oh, we have to stop UCLA's pass rush this week. Looking at the other side of the ball, I think – It'll be interesting to see whether USC has a spy, uh, Brett Hundley. Um, they're not going to tell us that, but it's something that we're going to have to watch for in practice. Sua Cravens probably should play that role, but USC really hasn't generated a big pass rush with their front four. Uh, Leonard obviously is an animal, but Leonard can be double teamed. The other three are kind of nondescript. And so that's really what we're wondering. Are they going to blitz or not? You know, they've gone games without blitzing, like an entire game. And they've gone other games where they blitz like three or four times. With Cal, they blitzed about a fifth of the time. And that made, you know, a big difference. That's what you were watching, Ed. But that's not really what we've seen all year. And so really, I think it's going to come down to whether they're willing to, you know, generate a pass rush because they haven't been. The spy thing kind of intrigues me because I, I think personally you want to make Brett Hundley run. And I think Washington, they did that spy. They were only rushing like three, sometimes four, and then they'd put a spy out there. And so they, it kept Brett in the pocket, which actually helped him. I mean, like I've said, you know, he wants to take off. He wants to not feel pressure. He, he doesn't like to get hit or whatever. So I think the spy thing, that's going to be an interesting game plan because I wonder if USC is really going to implement it. Because if you keep Brett in the pocket, he can actually throw the ball. It's just if you get him running around in circles and stuff, that's when all hell breaks loose and you never know what, what Brett you're going to get. So USC wants him to run, but not too far. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you don't want him to throw, or you want him to throw, but not too much. Yeah. I, it's going to be an interesting game plan. I wonder how USC kind of plays on Saturday. It's going to be interesting because this is going to be the third head coach Jim Mora faces in his short tenure at UCLA. And I'm just curious to find out how much the previous two games have meant and what it means to this third game. What, what do you think? Do you think there's any momentum that kind of carries over? Or is it just a year-by-year thing? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, on, if, if anything, I'd almost think it hurts UCLA because like we were talking about with the GLBs, you know, I think, like I said, this team just plays better when, when, when they're gutty and, and they're backs against the wall and when they're the underdog and stuff like that. And I think if you keep winning these games or whatever, you know, the pressure builds and, man, we got to run LA now. What are we going to do and I think right now though I think they're still in that that component where we still have something to prove and we still have our backs against the wall break down UCLA special teams because these are games that come down to maybe a field goal or 
punting a ball inside the 10 or you know something like that where do they stand in special teams unit Kaimi Fairburn can't make a field goal past 40 yards um so that's that's where that stands that's where it gets sketchy <laughs> that's where it gets sketchy uh Ishmael Adams is probably the top returner west of Texas uh he's he's in a threat to break is Kalen Thomas still west of Texas yeah or Kalen Clay sorry yeah well I mean Ish is has been just as good so uh so I I, I think he's he's phenomenal I wonder if USC even kicks on the ball a lot of teams don't even kick on the ball at both punt return and kick return um their kick coverages are great other than they gave a 100 yard return to John Ross last week but that was the first time they've been at return like longer than 20 yards like all year so um especially he's a pretty good punter Matt Mangle is okay he's whatever it's not anything good but it's not anything bad so that's where it kind of stands I can't really kick long field goals and they have a good returner coaching what about it <laughs> well the game i mean the game calls for some good maybe some critical decisions to be made at some tense moments so where, where do you think the advantage lies there i mean you gotta go with ucla uh, usc's been mismanaged you know almost every week especially in the second half i I don't know why you would even ask that. <laughs> We've got to ask all the tough questions here, Adam Maya. Yeah. One last question from me is 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 prediction. I'm going to go first. Okay. Uh, this is a very tough call for me, uh, but I think UCLA is going to pull this out, 38-35. It's going to be a, a very very good game at the Rose Bowl. Is it is it me now? I think I think it goes exactly like last year goes. I think you know 21 mm. point win. Yeah, I think it's it. It's pretty good. I, I think I, I didn't like what I saw from USC last week, and, and after the first, I guess, two quarters, I, th- I thought they were really, like you said, miscoached in that second half, and, and it was like, what is going on here? I mean, to just hemorrhage all those yards and those touchdowns in the second half, and and obviously the depth they have, it's non-existent. I mean, Leonard Williams was like just a complete beast through three quarters, and the fourth quarter he's like, all right, I need to go to sleep. Like, and it was just, I think their their depth is is, is not there. I think UCLA's depth is bigger. I think it's at home. It's the Rose Bowl. This is the game. UCLA could go zero and a million, but if they win one game all for five years, it's got to be this USC one. I think I think they just do it. I think Brett Hundley has a good game. I think it's seventeen point win. I can see both of those scenarios playing out. What Blair said. What Egg said. I went to bed last night picking these. We all we all went to bed. <laughs> no, listen, no. But did you go to bed picking them like I did? Yes. Okay. Well, then I guess we were sleeping together. But um, so I went to bed thinking that okay, you still ain't gonna win this game, you know. And you know, I come on the podcast and I realize that I I write for a USC audience, but I wanted to be honest. I wanted to make my pick uh, objectively. And then I woke up and. I got to thinking about how, again, ASU lost, and that put UCLA in the driver's seat. And something about that just, I don't know, I, I can't get behind them. I, I can't, they've yet to win a big, big game under Mora. Now, you can argue that 2012 beating USC was big to win the division, and yet they didn't really capitalize on it. You know, they, they get beat by Stanford twice, back-to-back weeks. Um Anyway, I, I just feel like they have yet to get that signature victory, and maybe they do on Saturday, but until they do, I can't pick them to win. I can't pick them to win until they prove it, and they haven't proven it yet. I'm picking USC. I'm going 37-31. So despite the shoddy coaching, USC gets the win from Adam Maya. They won in spite of their coaching before. 
they have six times or seven times this year in fact um so it'll be fun uh home jerseys for both sides and uh, a great afternoon at the rolls bowl we'll be back to discuss usc recruiting as well as the overall landscape here in los angeles as steve sarkeesian and jim mora battle for the area's top talent you're listening to the trojansports.com podcast hey it's the qb sean salisbury and you're listening to the trojan sports podcast right here on the home for everything usc everything usc trojansports.com You're listening to the Trojan Sports Podcast on Trojansports.com. Powered by by Rivals. We're back on the Trojansports.com podcast, and we're joined by guest Edward Lewis, the publisher of BruinSportsReport.com. Before we get into the UCLA and USC recruiting battle, uh, we've got some USC notes to to toss out there. Roy Hemsley, the four-star offensive tackle who was once recruited by UCLA. I think it was UCLA was his first offer. He signed his mid-year enrollment paperwork last week and he was in attendance at the Coliseum on Thursday. He uh, He's a mid-year enrollee so that's big for him because fellow offensive tackle Chuma Doga, the five-star from Georgia, is going to be in Los Angeles in time for next semester. So obviously USC gets two tackles there. Uh, five-star cornerback Iman Marshall was at the Coliseum. I don't think he's missed a game there at the Coliseum. And no, there was that one day when it was hot. Remember when he had a concussion? Yeah, but he—I mean—that's probably the only one he's missed yeah. in the last few years. So it's—it's—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's a good sign to get him out there a night before a big playoff game for him. So that, that kind of shows you where he stands with USC. Um, there was others there, most notably four-star safety C.J. Pollard of the 2016 class. He's from Gardena Serra. His dad went to USC, so you know there's obviously a tie there. Octavius Spencer, who picked up UC, uh, offers from UCLA and Oregon on Sunday, was also at the Coliseum on Thursday, and he told me Sunday that uh, USC's beginning to recruit him, and, he, and he's you know kind of trying to get a feel with the coaching staff. So that's a big thing for him. Uh, jun- junior college wide receiver Isaac Whitney was also in the stands. He also drew a visit from assistant coach Clay Helton on Saturday at his own game. And he told me USC is definitely uh, in the conversation for his services. I think right now what he's doing is he's waiting to take another couple of visits and he wants to visit USC last officially before he becomes a mid-year enrollee. Assistant coach T. Martin was in Long Beach to, to watch Dequan Hampton at Long Beach City College. So that was another big thing for, for the Trojans. Two big USC targets, five-star defensive end Rasheem Green, and five-star outside linebacker John Houston officially visited Miami together. They've already visited Oregon together and also plan to see Arizona State together, but that likely won't happen anymore given that Green is scheduled to have surgery on his left knee this week. As for their visits, Houston told me he set up an official for Notre Dame or for the Notre Dame game when USC takes on the Fighting Irish at the Coliseum later this month because he wants to hang out with his boys and you know, it's no secret he's close with Adore Jackson and Jalen Green and Olajuwon Tucker and those guys so USC's in a good spot with those guys. Uh, now we're going to bring in Edward Lewis and Adam Maya talk about the grand scope of things the bigger scope USC-UCLA recruiting battle here in Los Angeles Adam, you, you've been you've been around. Uh, for I'm a, old. Yeah, you've been around. <laughs> you've been around the block. I am old. Boy. Yeah, you've been around for a long time, and uh, I think this is the first time in your lifetime, or I guess in your conscious lifetime, mm-hmm. that UCLA has maybe even the playing field here locally in the recruiting world. You know, we we have five stars going to UCLA now. Um, what's your take on that? How 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 do you think that's been able to happen? Well, I mean, Jim Mora has done a wonderful job uh, evaluating talent. 
I think that's the biggest thing. Um, New Eisel got pretty big recruits. A lot of them flopped, you know, and it, that, you can't just put that all on New Heisel. But um, Moore has really found players that maybe, I guess, he knew he could coach and he knew that he could develop. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the NFL fabric in him that we saw with Pete Carroll a decade before. And so that's the biggest change that I see because when I watched you know, UCLA play, let's say, ASU a month and a half ago, they were extremely athletic, extremely talented. And, you know, I haven't seen that kind of UCLA team since, like, you know, 2005 maybe. Um, and even that was kind of like a one-off year. But I feel like uh, they have they have a program, and I feel like Moore has really kind of figured out the people that that he wants, that he needs, you know, that he can uh, he can build. So we're gonna go here with a little rapid fire with Ed Lewis. Well, we've got some recruits that USC and UCLA are kind of battling out for right now. Uh, let's start with Biggie Marshall, five-star cornerback from Long Beach Poly. First offer was from UCLA. He was a freshman at Long Beach Poly. Uh, the Bruins jumped in with an offer. USC jumped in maybe a year later with an offer. Um, where do you think that one goes, and, and how have you seen that recruitment unfold in the last few years? Ed? Man, he's been to every UCLA game this year. He was wearing UCLA gloves the other day when I went to see him play. Uh, he always talks about UCLA. He's tweeting about UCLA. He's got fours up on his Instagram, and he's going to USC. There's no doubt in my mind that he ends up at USC. I think maybe if UCLA kind of destroys USC this weekend, Maybe if he has an amazing unofficial visit, maybe if, if something super duper happens in the next couple of weeks, but I've always gotten the vibe he's going to USC, and I've always felt that way, so I think that still stands for me. Keyshawn Lucier South, five-star outside linebacker from Orange Lutheran. He has offers from both schools. Um, he put U- USC back in his top five recently after Steve Sarkeesian made it a priority to see him on the first night that he was able to go out and watch high school games. He's all UCLA. I, I don't understand why USC is even involved. And I know this is a USC podcast or whatever, but I, I just didn't get it. They were outside of his top five, and he was like, he was like, I don't want you to recruit me anymore. And Steve Sarkeesian showed up to his game. He was like, fine, you can have this fifth place spot in my top five. I, I didn't, I still don't get it. But he's going to UCLA. I mean, he wants to be the next Anthony Barr. Um, they, he wants to be utilized like Barr. Uh, he thinks he can be there. And he's got a great relationship with Ulbrich and Taylor Mazzoni and Jim Moore. I think it's almost weird that he hasn't committed yet. But I think he's going to take a couple more visits. And his UCLA official visit is next week to Stanford. And I think maybe that's when it ends. If you track Twitter like we do as as recruiting analysts, he's always mingling with UCLA commits, which, yeah. is, which is just funny to see. Uh, another guy that has offers from both schools and, he, and he's going to officially visit USC later this month for the uh, for early in early December, Christian Kirk. He already officially visited UCLA. If it was down to only those two schools, I know there's other schools like Arizona State and Texas A&M involved, but if it was only down to UCLA and USC, which one do you think you would pick? This one baffles me because... I- the word around Westwood is that Kirk continues to tell people close to UCLA and, and close to his family that UCLA is in it. But the word around, you know, what we do, you know, kind of in the recruiting circles and among prospects and among other people is that UCLA isn't in it. Uh, I, I know he was an A&M lean for a long, long time. Apparently that's cooling down. And now apparently ASU is heating up because, you know, his family wants him to play close to home, almost like a DJ Foster situation. And I know that has UCLA kind of concerned that they might lose him to ASU like DJ Foster. Um, but personally, I got the vibe that it was going to be USC, ASU, or a and I, I just really don't feel like UCLA, from everything I've been hearing about, you know, his recruitment and stuff, he wants to be just – he's always had that 
SEC kind of persona kind of thing, and he wants to be just bigger than life. And I think the two schools that give him that opportunity are A&M and USC. Now, ASU is kind of the wild card because the family wants him there, and they're becoming a good program now, and maybe they are becoming a, a bigger-name school. But, man, I think if, if signing day were today, I might go with ASU on this one. Okay, so ASU for Christian Kirk. And it's just interesting because uh, Iman Marshall, he's really good friends with him, and they've always talked about playing in college together. So you know, he, He's talked about Josh Rosen. He wants to play with Josh Rosen all the time too. So I think that's a big lean. Can't play with everybody. I, and exactly. <laughs> and then he wants to play with Kyle Allen at A&M, and he wants to play with DJ Foster at ASU. I mean, that kid's recruitment is crazy. I, I think I have a good handle on a lot of these guys. Man, I don't know anywhere he's Yeah, that one's going to be fun. That's going to be one of those fun ones. And he's yeah. probably got about a month to, to decide. Cause yeah, he he's wants, a mid-year enrollee. Yeah, he's yeah. a mid-year enrollee, so that one's a good one to try. Rasheem Green, five-star defensive end from Guardian Acero. We know how that movie ends. <laughs> I think it's Iman Marshall 2.0 here, dude. I, I think he's saying all the right things at UCLA. He's going to visit UCLA. He's been to a lot of their games. Uh, Angus McClure and him have a good relationship. Jeff, o- Jeff Ulbrich has a good relationship with him. But I, he, it's just that Trojan connection there, that Sarah pipeline. Um, I, I, like you said, I think his, what's Caleb Wilson's dad, Chris Wilson, is, is a USC defensive line coach or whatever, and he's out to be able to see Green every day if he wants to. And I think they have a great relationship. I just think he's going to USC. Yeah, a little scoop here. Uh, Rasheem Green wants to officially visit USC, but the coaches have told him that he needs to wait until January so that, you know, they're kind of dragging in. They want him to visit closer to National Signing Day. He told me Friday that he wants to visit UCLA as well. Uh, He doesn't know if it's going to be officially or unofficially, but he wants to be at the UCLA-Stanford game at the end of this month. Osa Messina, five-star outside linebacker from Utah. This is this is a guy I was surprised to actually hear USC was kind of still in it. I know he's taking an official visit next week, right? Uh, and I, I always thought it was going to be kind of a, a UCLA kind of Arizona State battle. Um, I thought he really liked Arizona State. I thought after his visit, the buzz was all Arizona State, maybe more so than UCLA. Um, but apparently ASU continues recruiting him as a tight end slash H-back slash running back, and that's not what he wants to do. And they're apparently not that flexible on the idea of him playing linebacker. And So I think it's UCLA. I think UCLA leads right now. And barring something crazy on the official visit to USC next week, I think he's UCLA is to lose so um, I think it's another guy like Keyshawn Lucia South he sees what Ulbrich's done with linebackers in the past like Barr and and you know Zumwalt and Kendricks and all that and he wants to be the next guy there so I think UCLA leads for him the last one here in this rapid fire segment John Houston five-star outside linebacker from Guardian is any school even recruiting him outside of USC like I know he's taking a Miami visit or whatever but I I haven't heard anybody even remotely in the mix outside of USC I have a question for two of you is that okay Blair I know that fire away. Show, this is rapid fire. Okay. Well, You're a I, co-host, Adam. Really? You're a co-host. Yeah. I've officially pegged you as a co-host of this podcast. Man, what a Monday. Okay. So over, over the last, you know, decade, we've seen quite a few players, pretty big names, you know, like a Josh Shirley, his Tular. Hey, remember Josh Shirley? Um, Dietrich <laughs> Riley, Randall Carroll, you know, I think even Kevon Seymour. People that, like, were really leaning one way. And either we're committed or just leaning quietly, whatever whatever the term terminology is in your world. And then they flip flopped. You know, they, they were going to be UCLA, ended up at USC or vice versa. Do you see anybody uh, on you know on either board where they're already maybe committed or they're a heavy lean and they would flip flop come February? Man, that's a tough one because we're less than three months away from National Signing Day, and I mean right now the only one that would fit that mold is maybe a guy like. Keyshawn Lucia South, you know, who would 
end up at USC. Maybe a guy like Biggie Marshall who would end up at UCLA. Maybe a guy like Akili Ross who would end up at UCLA rather than USC. Um, there's there's a few guys out there that would definitely shock us and, and surprise us. I, I don't, I've, I've been covering this rivalry now three years. I don't think there's a single guy that's done that in my three years now. I think Tahan and Priest were close, but I think they also, you know, this is going to sound dumb, but I think USC also kind of cooled on them towards the end you know i think they, they just were, didn't have spots either. yeah they were they were out of scholarships it, it and they didn't want to deal with the drama of that and so they let ucla kind of have them kind of thing i don't think there was there's been any guy in my last three years here that's been like oh he was going to usc and then all of a sudden he flipped and i can't yeah, i don't was, see it happen that either. was that 13 that 2013 class where they only had 15 spots available yeah. and then they filled up those 15 spots and guys like priest willis and tahan goodman and all those kylie Fitz had to kind of look Kenny elsewhere Clark, yeah. yeah eddie vanderdose yeah, yeah eddie vanderdose uh, eldridge massington all these right. guys that are at ucla now there's there's a lot of USC guys there um, so it's it's a definitely interesting and I think you know the coaches don't want to say it but this game means a lot not only for this year but for years to come you know there was a recruit that I was texting out keep his name anonymous oh, here. yeah yeah, yeah we're gonna we're not gonna release everything here on this podcast <laughs> but he was he was texting me and, and uh i asked him you know did you grow up rooting for one of the teams which one are you going to be rooting for on saturday and he said he said you know i was only six or seven when when uh, reggie bush was playing but right now it's all eight clap and he used the hashtag eight clap and i was just like oh okay well like we're using hashtag <laughs> text messages now so uh yeah it's it's uh it's interesting and this game is going to be really fun uh just you know, on the field and in the recruiting landscape. Well, and I, I, to your point, I think now that USC has 25, you know, 25 spots, we might get a lot more of that because that has quieted down. But that was a, a major fabric of, you know, uh, Kiffin versus New Heisel, you know, and, and even even with Carroll. Carroll experienced some of that where he got guys and lost guys in the final hour. Yeah. I'm, the, the, the thing, I think all these guys, somebody asked me, I, I did a mailbag the other day, and, and, and somebody asked, you know, where do you see kind of all those guys leaning, you know, in terms of, of UCLA versus USC? And, and all of them, I think, have already made up their minds. I mean, UCLA's dropped Marvell Tell, and he's going to USC now. Uh, Akili Ross, you know, UCLA's kind of gi- given up on him, given he USC. He didn't even make his top 12. Tw- yeah, 12. yeah, they've kind of given up on him, yeah. and he's he going to USC. Top 12? He had a top 12, and UCLA didn't make it. Yeah. What is he, Baker? <laughs> and Cameron Smith, I mean, Roy Hemsley, uh, Isaiah Langley, Dominic Davis, Cole Smith, they've all taken USC. Andre James, Lucer South, Rick Wade, Deshaun Holiday, Alizé Jones have all taken UCLA. I, I just don't see any, other than maybe Biggie Marshall, Rasheem Green, and Osa Messina, I don't think there's any head-to-head battle here. Um, for UCLA and USC recruits. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun ride for us as recruiting writers and for Adam to cover this game at the Rolls Bowl. So that will wrap it up for our recruiting chat. Tune in next week for all your anecdotes, notes, and quotes from the Crosstown Showdown and our preview of the Notre Dame game, which will draw a star-studded group of recruits to the Coliseum. Follow along on Twitter as we report from the press box at USC underscore rivals, at Adam J. Maya and at Chris P. Swanson. For Adam Maya, Chris Swanson, and special guest Edward Lewis, I am Blair Angulo. Thanks for tuning in to the Trojansports.com podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's Trojansports.com podcast. Your one-stop shopping for everything Trojan sports. Recaps, previews, the best in recruiting, and some fun and frivolity with the boys. Follow the guys on Twitter at Bangulo, at Chris B. Swanson, and at Adam J. Maya. We'll see you next week on the Trojansports.com podcast.